Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another programme. Today I'm sitting in um, a room with somebody that I've wanted to interview for a little while. We're up at Accrington Stanley and I'm talking to a gentleman called Willie, Willie Donicky, and uh, I wanted to talk to Willie about about football, um, about life and um, about his life because uh, I got to know Willie a little bit through his son Danny who um, who was somebody that we we worked together at Everton and um, we struck up a great relationship and uh, Danny always used to to talk about uh, about Willie and uh, how much he influenced him. Um, so just a little bit of, to, uh, I won't embarrass Willie because I know he's a very humble man, um, but Willie's a, an international, a Scottish international footballer, ex-Scottish international footballer, I believe you're from Glasgow, Willie. Yeah. And uh, I know you played a lot of games for Manchester City and um, I've got a, a coaching career that, uh, you know, expands over a lot of clubs. So uh, great to be here and thanks for inviting me, Willie. <laughs> It's great to be here. Nice to meet you, Rob. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks for your time. And um, so just to um, to start the podcast off, just <coughs> for anybody who, who uh, perhaps hasn't, you know, followed football as closely as maybe uh, as we have, just tell us about a little bit about your early life and kind of where you were born, really, and um, how you got into your, into your life. Well, a couple of things came to mind while you were talking. The first one is I coach at Accrington Stanley now and a few weeks ago one of the kids came up to me and said, my granddad said you were a superstar. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, so I don't know if to take that a compliment or I had a good laugh about it. And another one talked about my son. One of my happiest, proudest moments was when we played in Oldham's reserves together. So I was a player coach at Oldham and Dan was a young player. And playing in the same team, that was a real great wow. time because you know he'd shout, "Yes, Dad!" You know, wanting the wanting the ball. Give it me. And the yeah, other yeah. the other team would be like, <laughs> looking at um, what's, <laughs> go, what's going on here. <laughs> I love that. So back to my upbringing. I, I'm from Glasgow, and I was thinking about it before I came on, and um, and what I tell everybody, I was born in a what's called a single end. And the Gorbals, so in, in those days, the Gorbals was classed as the worst slums in Europe. And it was the most violent place in Britain. You know, the, the most violent man came from there. It was in the national news. So it was a tough place, but it was my first five years. And so I had two older sisters, my mum. So I'm the first son born. So like in this one room house called the Single End, for five years, I was loved, you know, unbelievably. So in this horrible, terrible place, I had an unbelievable upbringing for the first five years. And looking back, <laughs> now I'm an older guy, I realise how important that was. And I tell everybody it's the, it's the most important thing, you know, if, if mothers can be with their children for those years, it's really, really important if you can. 
if you get love at that age, that stands you in good stead for the rest of your life. And and sorry to go on. Oh, beautiful. It's basically, I've been surrounded by it ever since. I've had some really tough times, but love of the game, love of the players, and vice versa has just been the bedrock of my career in life with family and in the game. And I think maybe what's interesting about there, Willie, what you say about um, the environment that you were brought up in, the, this physical environment, not 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 the, the relationship environment, but you were there with this beautiful, warm, cocooned love that came from your mum, your sisters, your family, but your physical surroundings were, okay, I'll use the word impoverished if I may mm. say mm. that. Whereas today, maybe we've got, you know, big semi-detached or detached and, and actually there's, there's something that's missing and what's missing is yeah. that that central thing that actually is, is the vital bit of it. Absolutely. And then in the same vein, you, you, you'll you agree, you know, when you're at school or in the game and your coaches when you're young, it's the love that gets you through and the love that inspires you. You know, at school, I had some, you know, and back in the 60s, School was very, very disciplined, very tough. I got the belt <laughs> on numerous occasions, but the connection you have with teachers who care about you is all that matters. And that I've, I did <laughs> quite well at school academically, although I hated every minute, but the, the teachers that cared about you, I'll always remember and always be thankful for them. I can't remember anything they taught me, but they were just good people. And that's what matters. And then the coaches I had when I was young, when I went to Man City, they were just great people. And I don't think anybody would call them great coaches. They were just great people. Because then there wasn't what you call modern day coaching going on. It was just giving their time and a lot of encouragement and praise and obviously told off when you weren't doing something properly, but even that was done in the in the sense that it was for your good. Just on that, because it's a real a real interesting point that gets talked about an awful lot, is that if you this is only my experience, Willie, but if you talk to people who've been in the game and had coaches maybe in the sixties or seventies or eighties, and then people who are coached now who are in the teenage years now I think the people who were coached you know the decades ago say wow you know some of the discipline was like it was it was hard and now the way or the the approach that was was quite common or seemed to be quite common then now seems to be almost possibly not non-existent but but extremely watered down if I can use that expression yeah yeah basically though society has changed that that's the thing. But it made me, I think, really resilient, you know, coming from the Gorbals. When I came to England, I, I just felt nothing nothing could hurt me. You know, what, what I'd been through there. Was that, that resilience when you look back, Willie, was that embedded in you because you've already talked about what you had from the sustaining love from your, your mum in those initial years. Are you talking about something that, that went on beyond that when you went to school? Yeah, well, to... basically then from, like, when I went to school, probably, like they say, give me the, 
the boy to seven and then I'll give you the man's. And, and those seven years were fantastic for me. When, when I went to school, it was very, very tough. I mean, from the first day in Glasgow, these kids start throwing stones at you. And you say, what, what are they doing that for? And they'll say, well, just throw them back. They're the Protestants <laughs> or they're the Catholics. Right. So from day right. one, you're, you're like, we hate them and they hate us. <laughs> and then in school... The, the secondary school I went to was quite a prestigious one then, and that was from the rough area. So that was, <laughs> looking back, I must have st- stood out like a sore thumb. But I had a lot of good friends, and football got me through. But as I said, after that experience, and, and in Glasgow in those days, you just walking down the street, if you looked at somebody the wrong way, there was a fight. So to... To go to Manchester, <laughs> excuse me. So to go to Manchester, where everybody was friendly and everybody cared about you, it was yeah. like paradise for me. You know, <laughs> to go down the street and nobody wanted to fight you, it was just like fantastic. So that that stood me in good stead, and but that was the times it was. But I always felt, and well, two two main things, I realised. You can only build on praise and encouragement. You can waken somebody up by being strong with them. You know, but you don't really build anything. Yeah. You can only build on praise and encouragement. Yeah. Another thing I learned, and people can't d- take this in or disagree completely, never criticise, especially yourself. And... People say, oh, you've got to criticise if somebody's doing something. But it needn't be criticism. As I said, we're talking about love. If you love somebody, you'll tell them the truth in the nicest possible way. It's not being cruel. It's not being critical. It's just an observation. You know, maybe we could do this better. There's another way to do this. Something like that. But there's, And don't get me wrong, I've criticised like everybody else does. But you don't need to criticise ever. So the less you can and the more you can praise, is that people some, grow. Is that something that came naturally to you, Willie, or you gained through observation, or you, is it something that you learnt from reading or, or anywhere, anything, anywhere in particular? <laughs> Two times. One, the first one was when I was 16, my best friend, it's for one of those times, come on, let, let's be honest with each other. Tell me, tell me what's wrong with me and I'll tell you what's wrong with you. <laughs> and he said to me, I criticise too much. He said to you? He's, yeah, he said, and then I thought, I thought about it. And well, I thought, well, I didn't really realise that, but maybe you're right. So, and he said to me, what's wrong with me? And I said, well, I, I, don't, <laughs> I said, I don't think anything's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't criticising but then when I was a little bit older when I was about 21 I joined this um, philosophy school uh, basically called practical philosophy so it wasn't all theory and study and all that stuff which I don't enjoy it was more about how you live your life and one of the, one of their basic rules is Never criticise. And so when you do practice it and when you start to become 
aware of what's going on in your head, you realise a lot of it is just criticism, judgment. As soon as you see somebody, you can be, oh, they're old, they're, <laughs> they're yeah. fat, they're thin, yeah. they're beautiful, they're ugly. It happens like in a flash. So to get away from that and just see things more objectively without judgment, basically, it's helped me enormously in football, you know, to as a coach as well as a player, to become more aware of myself, I'm more aware of everybody, and just to observe better than from a critical outlook. And now you know, Rob, nowadays in society, everything's criticism. On the news, in the papers, on talk shows, everything's criticism. It just spreads, and people can't wait to watch them, so they get into that mentality, like, and I'm better than them and they're no good, which is it's just a shame. So when you kind of started to embrace this uh, thought process, you were kind of not, you know, you'd establish yourself as a player at, at that point. And can you remember having that mindset change and, and noticing how it changed you? Let's just, as a, as a player, let, let's just look at that side of it as a, as a positive to, in your profession, did it? The big thing for me, Rob, was and is basically to wake up and through this practical philosophy school, I realised I'd spent the vast majority of my life in a dream, like an autopilot, not really giving attention to anything. And when, when I realised it was like a different world, you know, to really listen to somebody to really taste your food, to really smell and touch. You know, it's just a different world. And I see almost everybody, <laughs> including me, most of the time in this dreaming autopilot state. You know, you're driving down the road and you get where you're going and you think you can't remember where you've been. And you, so you're away in, in your head. So basically... Learning about that and waking up, um, attention-wise, was a massive part of my life. And would you say, looking back now, because that's a long, you know, it's you know, when you were twenty-one, Willie. Looking back now, um, is it still for you a constant process of of correcting and adjusting? Cause, Absolutely, because practices are Absolutely. fundamentally. Do we ever get to the point where we are the absolute 100% master of anything? Probably not. And I just wondered, you know, because it's something that you've obviously been doing for a long time. So yeah, you still have <laughs> to. It's, it's a never-ending thing. One of the things that came to mind when I was thinking about speaking with you, years ago uh, I met a, a famous sculptor who's, who's got some big sculptures in London dotted around. And I said to him, which was your favourite one? And he said, the one I was doing it at the time. Uh-huh. And so, obviously, it's all about being in the moment. And, yeah, yeah. and that's why I didn't really want a big introduction about the past, because it's all gone. And I, I still love being with the players, love being with the kids, because it's now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, when we met down at Port Vale when um, that Sunday morning and it's, you know, it's wet and it's cold and 
you know it, <laughs> it for me really that was just a magic moment because you know that is where it happens that that's mm. people think it's in Madrid in the Champions mm. League yes mm. of course it ha- ha- happens mm. there but mm. none of that happens unless uh, mm. you know and to create that Champions League final there are millions and millions of mm. hundreds of thousands of people who do this who do that who do the other and whether you're mm. the lady who mm. comes in and switches the tea and on mm. at seven o'clock mm. somehow that's contributed towards mm. to, towards that and, and it was just a great moment because mm. for me it was a you know one of the things that I can remember myself well he is thinking always wishing I was somewhere else want to be better want to be mm. in a different place mm. better job and mm. having that freedom of actually learning to be happy nothing wrong in being wanting to to improve it's a different thought process but that was such a freedom thing for me to be content where i am and enjoy and that i think probably is a different way of saying enjoy enjoy the moment this mm. is mm. you know um, mm. so yeah I, i get that So there you are, as, and and I would certainly say, as a player, you would probably be in a minority with that kind of kind of thought process. Do you recall just going back to being when on the pitch? It because that must be that's the is that that's the pressure time, isn't it? That ninety minutes when there's thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand people. Can you recognise how that impacted you then in the in those moments? It's the more you practice being in the moment, the more it comes when you need it. And the first time it sort of happened to me was before I'd actually understood in about this. And I was 17, and we used to run every morning at Man City. I mean, really run. And we used to go to this park and run around this track. And I was running around the track, and with the first team, and it was hard. <laughs> we were going around the bend, and I just I went in that place where you're not doing anything. And you're just, you're just there. It's effortless, but it's scary because you're like, let go. Yeah, you don't know what what's happening. It only lasted maybe a few seconds, but it was weird. And then I got to understand later that it's that sort of flow place where you don't do anything. You just observe. You're just watching what's going on. And then when I went to study the, the philosophy, like I said, the more you practice, it will happen. It's like grace; it just comes. When so, then was so like in football, everybody's experienced it. Where when you score a goal, it's almost like it just happens. When you strike the ball perfectly well, it's effortless. Usually, you're trying too hard, or you're sloppy. When you get it just right, you're not even trying. And that's what I've tried to explain to players. But it's not a mental thing; it's a whole body, emotional, everything thing. And it it comes; it just comes. The problem comes then when you claim it, when you think, "Oh, I scored the goal, and I was really good, <laughs> and I did really well." It's nothing to do with you, really. That's that's just the ego. When you can let go of that, then it might happen again. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as you claim it, then you're stuck in your head again. Yeah. And you become pretty small. Yeah, yeah. Instead of this big thing that's just free. Do you recognise and do you think that? Because one of the things listening to you, Willie, there uh, is that 
for me, one of the one of the battles that that I've been through is I've been through the phase of giving it whatever it is I'm doing 150% and not sleeping enough and 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 grinding it out and doing the work, whether that's study or it's mm. football, whatever mm. it is, Willie. Really. Mm driving or building something or that's mm. a financial thing or whatever and then the other end of the spectrum is like the okay let's just use the phrase let it let go and let god kind of thing do you know what i'm saying when yeah. you just let go absolutely the best description of love i've ever heard is to give full attention just give full attention and that's what it's about people think you've got to try harder uh, run further, faster, <laughs> higher, but it's about giving full attention. Yeah, yeah. And then you can't give anything else. As I said before, it's a, you're either trying too hard or you're giving up. And we've got to, uh, there's, there's a few quotations. What the, my favourite quotation is, he who claims he knows, knows nothing. He who claims nothing knows. So, like I was saying, this as soon as you're like taking it on, and I'm I'm a hard worker, or I'm anything, or I'm lazy, it's all rubbish. The key is to give your full attention, the love, to whatever you're doing. That can be anything: mm-hmm. vacuuming the floor, doing the dishes, kicking a ball, anything, and then it becomes magical. And Einstein says, either nothing's a miracle or everything's a miracle. And everything's a miracle. When, yeah. when you see it like for the first time and yeah, yeah. with full attention, yeah. and yeah, yeah. you observe your hands, how they work, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And we just take it for granted. Yeah. So those, those first five years, when you're taking everything in and, and everything is magical, then we go to school and we're taught you do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And it becomes mechanical. And we forget that magical thing that's always with us. That we just become like a robot. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. There's times when things have happened in my life and I've gone, I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's great, <laughs> and then you start wondering, oh, I've got to do something about this, you know, we've got to interfere with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And somebody once said to me, all you've got to do is get yourself out of the way, and actually, they're right, mm. you mm. know, and, uh, yeah. Um, so, what... Okay, the Beatles, let it be. Yeah, yeah, let it be, yeah. Is there anybody who really has influenced you more than anybody else? There's so many. There's so many. Okay. And sometimes the ones you don't even realise. So going back to coaching, one of my first coaches was a guy called Ken Barnes. His son, Peter Barnes, played for England, and Ken Barnes was a good player. But he was a really good man. But he, the first one of the first things he said to me, and I was in Man City's first team, he said, I, I hate coaching. Coaching is H-I, it's S-H-1-T, that's what we said, coaching. I'm thinking, he's my coach and he thinks coaching's rubbish. What? Anyway, he said, I don't coach, I coax. And he basically, he taught me something just by asking a question. 
pardon me, and he said, will you ever get composure? And it, the, in those days, I'd go through a brick wall. I'd kick my granny to win a game. I'd do anything. But sure. I was too intense. And just by that question, so I thought about it, and I said, yeah, I will. And I realised I had to be more composed. So just through a question, not telling me to do anything. So that was quite an important one. And, and there's been loads, loads and loads of little things like that. If you're awake and yeah, I'm yeah. ready for it, you'll get it. Yeah, yeah. But a big one for me, those, those people at the School of Philosophy that I studied with, and one of, one of them taught me that about love, simply give full attention. That was a massive part. The, the other one for Dan and me, my son, we met a, an Indian guru called Sadguru. Did Dan tell you about him? Yeah, came to Everton, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I, mean, I have so much respect for Danny for taking that step. It doesn't matter how much you believe in yourself, that's like stepping out and going, I'm completely naked here. This. I know Dan was worried. <laughs> but he's, he's, the most, he's the wisest man probably in the world right now. We went to see him in Manchester and we asked him, what can we give to young, young people? I'm thinking about young players, really, but young people. And he said, teach them to take responsibility. Because, like we're saying, the criticism, everybody blames somebody else. It's not my fault. They're, it's the coach's fault. It's the manager's fault. Whatever. Instead of, like, it's my responsibility in my life. So I've taken that, tried to take that back to all the young players all the players I work with, <laughs> even some of the older ones who are receptive, mainly two things. One is that, take responsibility, and the other is to try and be able to still the mind. Those two things. As well as all, all the sort of technical football stuff that they need to understand. They're the two big things for me. Yeah. Learning to still the mind and take responsibility. Yeah. So those are the two. If you could, if you had a thirty-second soundbite to give to players, that's what you'd you'd, you'd say to them. And yeah, give them that's brilliant. Yeah. But as you know, it's a lifetime's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. Thirty seconds saying it, but um, it's like everything done, uh, William. Everything, yeah, lots of things. Most things are easy to say and much more difficult to to do. So the the responsibility thing. I had a guy speak once. I, who was in jail with Nelson Mandela. And so <clears throat> he was dying. This guy, he'd given up. He'd been in jail for a couple of years. He wasn't well. Nelson Mandela went to see him and gave him the Invictus poem. You know, the one that ends, basically, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So I, I've given that to all the, all the players since I knew that. And I've said to them, like, learn this by heart because the guy recovered and became a headmaster and everybody in, in his school had to know that poem by heart there's four verses so now I give it to all the kids and I say like, if whoever learns it first gets a prize so last year and this year at Accrington I've given it to all the kids within a day somebody's come said I think I've, I think I've got it which is amazing because I couldn't remember it in a day. Yeah. But it's um, 
if we could all get that, you know, realise you're in charge of your fate. Yeah. Which which reminds me of something else. Bill Shankly, who who's a hero of mine, and I'm really proud that I played in his testimonial, he used to say, coaches don't make players, God and mothers do. And I think it's so true. You you know, it's like sometimes you'll get a good bunch of players and it's like, wow, anything's possible here. And then you'll get a bunch of players that are very limited and, it, and it's a struggle. And it's, it's not down to what you're going to do. You do what you can, but it's really what's inside the kids. That's, that's great about Shanks because Shanks is the granddad of, for me, of my mentor. He, he was the one that when I was seven years old watching watching this wee man on the on, on the TV in this pink shirt, you know, and having this rhetoric that even at that age was like, I'm not quite sure I understood, but there's something, there's just this mag- magnetic thing that he, he had that. And um, what you were saying, Willie, about focus and being present, he used to talk about, Lammy, I'm just bringing the point out, I'm sure you know it, He when he talked about if I was the one who, who was um, told to go and clean the, the toilets, I'd, I'd do it and, and I'd do it and it would they would be the best because I'd, and he's in there doing it. He's not worried about what else. He's just doing his cleaning behind the pipes and, yeah. and, and all the rest of it, yeah. The, the other thing, although he, he said loads and loads of good things, he, the other great thing he said was, you know, we always talk about players that got to work harder and you got to work. He said he called it natural enthusiasm. And that's what it should be. You know, if you're not enthusiastic about running around, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, because he talked about, boys, it's the grass and the sunshine. <laughs> like, the, and he meant it to him, yeah, there wasn't yeah. any, there was no golf course, there was, there was no Ferrari down the road, was there? None no. of that. There's no, doesn't mm. even, what? It's, mm. uh, yeah, mm. so, absolutely. Um, and I, I think, I think probably cascading down from Shanks, um, blimey, he, he's been an influencer for, for so many, hasn't he? I mean, mm. you know, certainly Fergie used to talk about listening to Shanks' his, his, his tapes and, and quotes and, and, and things like that. And um, obviously Jock was, um, Jock Steen was uh, considered to be another great of that kind of ilk who, who had that philosophy of, of um, that football was was kind of all, all he was consumed with, really, mostly. Um, and so many players also... Uh, you know, the, of the Lisbon Lions kind of give the glory to Jock for, for mm. his ability to, mm. to kind of bring together that that team. Well, from what I know about him, I, I played under him a couple of times with Scotland and he was obviously massive charisma and very intelligent. But I know with, with that Celtic team, it was like an iron fist. He understood the game all the players were scared to death of him. Right. So nobody would step out of line. And like Shankly, everybody worked for the team. No big egos. Team always first. But played in a very positive, entertaining way. Yeah, amazing to think that that was a... It is a that is an amazing fact, William, that those players who, you know, um, won the European Cup did come from such a... Such a small area, and obviously it's uh, you know from your city around your you know within. I think most of them came within eleven miles, and one came from about thirty miles away or something. Yeah, like well, I mean those those players were my heroes because I was a Celtic fan. And then when I first played for Scotland, 
Jimmy Johnson, Billy McNeil were in the team. Wow. So it was like, I was, wow. yeah, it was crazy for me, but they were so nice. And, <laughs> and, they, and the same team was John Gregg, who played for Rangers. And all the Celtic fans hated him yeah. <laughs> because he used to kick our players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's such a nice man. Again, yeah. you know, off the pitch, completely different. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, Willie, that um, I was fortunate this year. I went to um, to Celtic for the first time. I wanted to go for a long time. Fortunate enough, to also, including that, I was able to get a ticket for the for the Celtic Rangers game. And um, but I have I was completely overwhelmed. Well, I spent four days at Celtic. We went round there. The training ground, the old training ground, and, and the new training ground. And the, there's a culture there, Willie, that, that for me is is something really special. As much as football's got a lot of challenges and a lot of things, for me, Celtic have got something that's unique. It's, it's certainly special. They, they celebrate their their past players on it. And I know we talked about the past, but actually, they do it in a really healthy way f- for me. And and, and um, the chief executive spoke to us and he kind of encompassed the football and, and the financial things, the business world that football has to kind of be in to evolve, to, to stay alive t- today. And, and, and But uh, but certainly it, they talk about the three strands, one being the, the, the fiscal, the, the business one, the football, which is obviously the the, the reason it was started. And, and, and the third one is the, is the community thing, which I think at Celtic is quite a unique thing because of its history, mm. really, yeah. Yeah, it's massive. Because, well, when I was young and before, in that part of Glasgow, the Catholic-Protestant thing was pretty bad. And Catholics wouldn't get good jobs. So it's very socialist, very working class, and they care about people. And I think that will always stay there. And you go there, <laughs> no, nobody can have a big ego there you soon get dragged down. Mm, mm, absolutely. And the guy who did the stadium tour, so he took us on an official stadium tour, Willie, and um, he was the most passionate <laughs> Celtic. So, and he, he, talk about somebody born to do something with like, <laughs> like, I actually wrote him a letter after the <laughs> Don't let anybody ever tell you you ain't good at what, 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 what you do. He was wonderful. Um, but yeah, I was, I was completely um, bowled over. And I think for me, uh, you know, well, even I'm not a Glaswegian, but... Uh, I've got like a feeling for the city that's just, you know, something special about it. Yeah, Rangers as well, although obviously they were the enemy. It's a massive, massive club with massive, massive fan base and great traditions as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's wonderful. So what would you say has been the most challenging time that you've had in the game? What, what's what been the hardest period in, in your, your football life? What do you remember about the sustaining things during that period, if, there is, if that's a relevant question? To be honest, even when times have been bad or hard, I've always enjoyed the job. I've always enjoyed it. Um, the first one that came to mind was Millwall when I was manager for a while, and then I lost my job. But I learned a lot from that, and it was still a great experience met a lot of really good people. And the fans are fans everywhere. You know, they love their club. And it, you know, the the, the thing about football, the two basic things I love. One, with kids, it teaches them you have to share. 
if you don't share, if you don't help each other, you get beat. But it's not somebody telling you, don't be greedy. You learn by the game. And the other, it teaches you you have to focus or you're no good. Without, again, somebody telling you, concentrate, get your mind on it. The game teaches you. And then, so, what I was saying about the fans, it's a way where people just become part of something bigger than their own little ego, thinking about themselves and caring about a community or a club or a team. And that that's one of the beauties of it. So as, as, as long as you're learning from those experiences, the problem for everybody and me is back to my famous quote, quotation. I think it's in one of the Upanishads, that quote. He who claims he knows, knows nothing. And when you, when you start to think you know something, you're struggling. Yeah. That's when you're going down. Yeah. And it, a few times in my life, that's when I've been going down. When the ego gets a bit big and you think you know something, <laughs> you, you soon come down to earth. It's making me think now. I don't think I'm ever going to say to anybody, I know <laughs> and somebody once said to me he says you always say I know <laughs> and, I said, and now I realise I don't know <laughs> no it's not it's I not it, it's the claiming and then because the knowledge you have all the knowledge you have is just passed, passed down on. you're just stolen it all and you're going to pass it, it down yeah. to somebody else it yeah. doesn't belong to you no, no, that's great but yeah. once you start thinking yeah I'm clever and I'm that coach is rubbish and I know better than him. You're struggling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. So, you're at Accrington Stanley at the minute, yeah? With mm. the, with the, you just get, this is an interesting one for me because obviously as a, as a fellow coach, I stand sometimes and, I, and I'm, whether you're on the touchline or you're on the in, in, in a session and you're saying things and you have that thing and think, mm, I don't think that was the best thing to say. Or, <laughs> or, 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 <laughs> has the way that you communicate changed drastically, Willie? Or... Are you quite, quite similar now to, to how, you know, do, do you feel like you've changed recently or, or this presence and this, you know, looking not to criticise and actually to ask the questions and to, 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 to inspire the, the individual rather than be the person who tells them and tells them what they're not doing? Is your communication changed? I don't really think so. And that, that's one of the things that's really good about Accrington. They let me get on me what I think I'm good at rather than spend a lot of time on a computer, which I'm not good at, and all the other stuff. They laugh at me because basically the main thing seemingly I say is go on <laughs> to kids all the time, go on. <laughs> I, I can vouch for that. Because <laughs> I've heard you. <laughs> And do they, do, they, do they celebrate that? <laughs> or do they say, can you say something? <laughs> I think it's good. I, I think they sort of celebrate, <laughs> but take the mickey, obviously. And that, to me, that's the basis of everything. Just go for it, go for it. And that's how our generation were brought up. If you, you could, You'd rather lose 5-0 having a go than 1-0 being negative. Mm. And that's one of the modern things that I worry a bit about when teams are are winning from a negative place, you know, giving nothing away and trying to win 1-0 or get a nothing each draw. 
you know, I wouldn't pay to watch that. No, no. But pay to watch Liverpool, Man City, Spurs at the moment. Having a go and yeah, I'd pay. To, I'd pay to watch Messi, but not, not just um, negative stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having a go. Sometimes, what do they say? Sometimes you win when you lose, and you lose when you win. You know, and I think society doesn't always agree with that, does it? It's all mm. about the result sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the style. I don't think. I hope. The only difference for me is when I'm with the little kids, you treat them like little kids. And the older, this year I'm taking under 16s. Why one of the things, <laughs> I didn't get on with my dad when I was young. And one of the best things he said to me when I was 16 was, right, you're 16 now, now you're a man, you make your own decisions. And I, I tend to agree with that. Once you're 16, you're a man. You can get married, you can go in the army, you can do... So you make your own decisions. So these kids now who are 16, I'll be treating them a little bit differently from the 9 and 10-year-olds who I also love. I think this, that, that's absolutely... That's a great one. Because I think one of the the things that society has not helped is that we, we do cocoon. Um, people, I remember being on a, on a on an international football trip and one of the lads forgot his boots and, and he was pretty distraught that he hadn't bought his boots with him. So we turned around and go, well, did you not check? And he went, well, my mum didn't. <laughs> but he was serious, really. He, yeah. this, is a, this is an international, so boy with the world at his feet. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and yeah. he didn't know any different than that. Mm. So, you know, um, but yeah, strange. But somehow I can, I can get that. So, okay. So is there anything that you would change about how the game is or how we coach players that we can influence if you if you could if you were really powerful which you know and you had you had the jurisdiction to do so is there anything that would burns you to change it there's always been a sort of bit of a divide between the professional game and the, and the fa and the fa has always been based around teaching teachers and the professional games all about ex-professionals there's always been a bit of a gulf and it's changing, I think, too far towards the teaching side. So there's all preparation and then individual learning plans and all this stuff that you've got to do every session. Whereas Shankly and people like that will say the game's the teacher and you learn by playing, which you do. But you, they still need advice and tips and stuff like that but they've got to have the freedom to play and express themselves I see little kids there's a story I I was coaching I was with the under nines I think and one one of the kids he lost the ball near his own goal and then gave a goal away and the coach I was with said I've told you before, don't lose, don't lose the ball there. You know, you you give, give a, a chance away. And the little kid, he's eight, eight or nine years old. Pardon me, he's nearly crying. And he, he bursts out. Nobody was giving me any options. <laughs> <laughs> and I burst out laughing. Because this kid is a really good little player. Yeah. A lovely boy. Yeah. And I, so I'm like burst out laughing. Oh, it's not really funny. And then one of the other kids, who's a lovely kid, 
put his arm around him. Brilliant. Oh, it was it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But so we're treating them too much, like as if they're men or older people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of just letting them play, have fun. Yeah. And understand the teaching side. We want to be as good coaches as we can, and we want the kids to learn as much as they can. But it's a progression. It's time. It just takes time. Mm. Can't force it. So what you're saying is like to keep the main thing, the main thing, so that people play, kids play, and learn by that, and have the right balance between information that you know. Have you ticked that box? Have you read that? Have mm. you listened to that? Have you watched that video? Have you watched yourself back? Have you done the, the, the you know whether that's the coach or the player because it's. It is. It's there's. It's seemingly a, a growing monster, Willie, isn't it? That actually is is becoming, you know, seventy percent. Yeah. And thirty percent. Oh, there's yeah. twelve hours of preparation to get two yeah, hours yeah. of football, and it should be the other way around. Yeah, you? it's got to be fun. Full stop. It's got to be fun. And I remember when I was a young coach, the the head coach of UK athletics was giving a lecture to foot, young football coaches, and basically he said, "You're successful." if your young kids are still playing when they're 30, you know, and with their mates and stuff, not necessarily as a pro, mm. but it shows they still love the game. Mm. Whereas at that in those days, a lot of kids were stopping at 16 because they weren't enjoying it. Mm. It's, it's about enjoyment. Mm. Absolutely. And I think on that, I think, Willie, we have to be aware as an industry, if we can use that word, that... You know, it is so intense sometimes and, and kids are at school and then, then two, three nights a week and then a Sunday and, and if it's not enjoyable, they will burn out and they'll, they'll think, you know, oh, I don't want to do this any, anymore, you know. Well, I say to my kids and the kids I coach, do what you love. For your life, do what you love. If you don't love it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's like you with your accountancy shop. <laughs> Yeah, I realised, luckily, somebody up there liked me that day. Do you remember going, do you, just take me through that, Willie, so there you are. So this is when you left school, right? No, well, I was really lucky because all my friends were, like, going to be a joiner, <laughs> a, a plate metal worker, um, gas, one was a gas lamp lighter and stuff like that. And the school I was at gave me great, great reference to get this quite prestigious job, chartered accountant which I hated for two days and just never went back. So, again, as I say, somebody saved my life that yeah, day. Yeah, bless you. Yeah. So, okay, Willie, so listen, I'm going to kind of um, wrap you up in a bit because um, you've given me uh, given me nearly an hour already, so this is uh, this is really good. Is there anything, I think I quite know the answer to this, but I'd never assume, is there anything that you have got a burning ambition to do in the game, Willie, or to, to influence the game in any way, or to, to work anywhere, <coughs> or with anybody, or... Or to do anything or not really I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing I do the Montserrat national team so I work with senior players who are good people as well and all these kids at Accrington they're great kids you know really down to earth good people good kids no egos yeah. it's great fun yeah. yeah obviously I can just tell really that you, you really enjoy that okay so Last couple of things, Willie. I always ask this of, uh, of my guests. And uh, if you want to say pass, we'll just say pass. It's fine. It's like Mastermind. <laughs> Best book you've ever read? Well, the one, the one that changed my life when I was about 17 was a book called Siddhartha. So get that one. Okay. Um, 
Another favourite book is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. You read that one? I've got it, but I haven't read it. You must read it. It's a great book. It's really about what we've been talking about, how motorcycle maintenance can be artistic, and it's to do with how you approach it, and if you, how you look at it, how you do it, it can be artistic, and anything can be artistic if you yeah. do it with attention. Yeah. I never thought I was an artist. <laughs> oh, you know you are, yeah. Everybody yeah. can be. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so best film you've ever watched? I really liked Forrest Gump. Yeah. For all the things in that. Other favourite is Life is Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's an Italian film. Right. It's, it's a great film. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well, Willie, thank you very, very much. It's been enlightening, and, uh, <laughs> and it really has been enlightening. Um, I didn't know what to expect, um, but um, your hospitality has been wonderful, and um, really appreciate your time, Willie, so thanks very much. Yeah, let's get a coffee. Great. Cheers, Willie.